Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast, member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Burbridge. 2020 was a surreal year for all of us, but wait till you hear it from today's guest. Dave Merring, founder of the Merring Agency, a shipyard company, has a roster full of clients in travel and tourism. To quote Dave, Imagine having 100% of your clients pull 100% of their advertising over the course of a week. However, this wasn't the end of the story, as the Maring Agency and its clients kept working, evolving messaging as the world changed before them. In the end, the agency was more agile than it had ever been and created some of its most innovative work in these trying times. Dave shared his story and discussed the future of travel and tourism. Let's start the show. My friends, we are back in the Marketing Futures virtual podcast studio. I am so happy to welcome Dave Maring of The Shipyard to the podcast studio today. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Excellent, excellent. So we've got a very, very interesting tale to jump into. But before we do that, I wanted to set kind of a baseline for our listeners. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how your journey led you to the shipyard? Okay, sure. Um, Well, I opened a uh, advertising agency in 1985. So quite some time ago, that time it was called uh, Marrying and Associates. It eventually became became Marion Carson, and then it became the Marion Agency. Um, in 1998 or so, we picked up the Visit to California tourism account, and that really started to change the direction of the agency. We, we really became focused in the travel and tourism industry. And that's, that's kind of you know the path that we went on for the, the last 20 years or so. The shipyard came about um, they're part of an organization called Worldwide Partners, which I participate in as well. It's an independent agency network. And we were on a call um, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, mid early 2020. And we were all talking about the impacts of the pandemic on our business. And of course, being focused in that travel and tourism space, our story was a little bit more um, dire perhaps than, than some of the other stories of the other CEOs and agencies. And Rick Millenthal, the, the head of the shipyard, contacted me after that call. And that began a, a period of, of, of courtship that uh, went on between us uh, over several months where we began to get to know each other and talked about whether there might be some opportunities and potentials to bring these two organizations together and create something uh, uh, even more special than we had individually. That's fantastic. And, and I'm glad you touched on it because I want to go a little bit uh, deeper into this. You know, I, I think it's safe to say nobody had a normal 2020, um, but for you and for your clients in travel and tourism, uh, this was a really surreal year for you. Yeah. Can you kind of give us that story of what this was like, sort of from when the first shoe dropped throughout the, the rest of the year? Yeah, yeah. So the very beginning of 2020, starting in around February or so, we we began to get inklings of what, you know, could be problematic. But until March, um, it was all just kind of theoretical. And the easiest way to put it for people who understand our business is that in March, within a two-week period, 100% of my clients canceled 100% of their advertising. So you can you can imagine we're an agency that at that time was probably about 85% travel and tourism. 
And to have that happen um, kind of out of the blue uh, was just devastating. You know, I mean, it was devastating. It was nothing any of us could have foreseen or predicted. Um, but, you know, we, we took the steps that we had to for survival. Um, you know, we did all the things that many businesses across the, the country have had to do, furloughing people, moving to part-time, salary cuts, benefit cuts, you name it. But we, we got to a place where we could survive. And then the interesting thing that happened was we were quite busy. Um, it was a weird situation because although our clients weren't really spending much money in media or marketing, we were very, very busy developing strategies and tactics and creative assets that we could keep putting out into the marketplace as this thing continuously evolved. And so, you know, we became very agile. Uh, we could reconcept ideas and deploy them in a few weeks time. And because we didn't really have any money to work with, we became a lot more um, kind of guerrilla and creative in our solutions. So I think it taught all of us some really interesting things. Um, you know, it, we, we learned how to do more with less. We learned how to be more resilient, uh, how to be more agile, how to change directions quickly. We would have situations because this thing was so evolving, right? We right. Would develop, yeah, we would develop a campaign, go into production, produce it, and by the time it was done, we'd say, "Well, we can't run that now. The world has changed again," and we would go back in, do something new, and redeploy that. And this could be happening on a every two to four week basis. So it was just crazy. And, you know, all our clients were going through the same experience. They were laying people off. They were freezing their budgets. They were, they were in the same boat we were. So you also had this situation of we were all in the foxhole together, you know, and, and it really mm. bring us mm. and our clients uh, even more together, I think, than, you know, we always pride ourselves on our relationships, but I think it made them even stronger. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And yeah, with the uncertainty, because we really, if you think back, we really didn't land on we're stuck with this thing until the oh, end God, of the no. summer. We were all so desperate to be like, well, hold on. When the temperature gets 10 more degrees, I just hold on. It might just go. I, I cannot tell you how many times I was wrong. You know, like the, we go back and joke about this now, the stupid things we said, thinking that we were right. Oh, by Memorial Day, you know, we're rocking and rolling. By the Absolutely. 4th of July, this thing's gone, you know, and I could go on for 10 minutes about those kind of comments that proved to be completely you know, just not even close to reality. Oh, absolutely. I was, uh, so my my wife's birthday is in March. And so she was one of the first streaming Zoom birthdays uh, back in the lockdown. I just remember all of my friends being like, oh, look at Mike, his birthday's at the end of June. We're gonna all be back in there. Like I was getting flack because it was like, oh, by the time your birthday comes around, it's like, by the time my birthday comes around next year, we're still going to be in the middle of it. So don't oh, worry. God, yeah. I must have also planned and canceled five vacations, you know, because okay. I was so, so confident that by, you know, well, three months from now, that's mm -hmm. I'll book that airline now. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure many of our audience assume that every, all, the entire tourism and travel industry uh, kind of was bust last year, but that's not exactly the case. 
uh, there was a little bit of a tale of two industries going on. And, and I, I was hoping you could kind of yeah. lay that out a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that made it so kind of challenging because everybody wasn't experiencing everything the same way. So we have clients within the space who are very much uh, large cities, uh, urban areas and gateways and things like that. Now they were devastated and, and they were devastated for a multitude of reasons, but from a travel and tourism space, they lost all group meetings and convention business, which is huge for some of them. Uh, business travel evaporated. And of course, international travel evaporated. So you look at those things, just those alone, let alone the fact that leisure died as well for them because people didn't feel comfortable going into large urban areas. And you, you're just devastated, right? Like hotels closing, just shutting down completely or closing one tower or whatever they were doing. Right, right. Restaurants closing. However, if you were in an urban or excuse me, a rural area, if you were somewhere pretty far away, maybe in the mountains or along the coast, uh, where people felt more comfortable going to small towns and rural areas, we had clients that had some of their best occupancy ever, not, not just best in a year or, or like the best ever. And so much so that you actually had a situation where there was over tourism. And these communities themselves began to speak up and say, hey, wait a minute, our community itself isn't feeling comfortable with the fact that we're being deluged with tourists at the expense of perhaps our own feeling of comfort and safety. And so on the one hand, you've got the industry that's really in a tough spot in these urban areas. And on the other hand, you've got the, the problem of too many tourists in these rural areas. And so that's a, that's a fine needle to thread um, when you're trying to market travel and tourism. So in an earlier conversation we had, you mentioned something that really hit me. Obviously, travel tourism, it's you need your time off, you need a little bit, uh, you know, to, of enjoyment. But you mentioned something called a memory deficit. And it really put into right. perspective how important this is in our lives. Could you explain what that yeah. is? For yeah. So where this kind of came from is that, you know, travel itself is something that for all of us is an activity and an experience that really becomes part of who we are um, from a memory standpoint. We remember these experiences and they, they're things that get us through the day, you know, the sitting there and thinking about this amazing trip you spent or a family reunion somewhere or a cultural experience somewhere or just, you know, going for a hike or playing on the beach with your, with your kids. These are the things that are so important to our well-being. And what happened is during the pandemic is as people couldn't do those things or didn't do those things, they became depressed. They actually, you know, their sense of well-being began to slip. They weren't refilling the bucket. And so what happened is, as you know, when you're not adding these experiences into your memory, that bucket is starting to kind of like lower. And so people were getting um, more and more depressed because they couldn't actually engage in those activities. So travel itself has the power uh, to really, you know, help improve our well-being and improve our mental health. 
because it's creating those memories and creating those experiences for us that we'll then carry forward and fall back on. So during COVID, that didn't happen. And, and that's, that's really what began to happen is people got more and more depressed because they couldn't refill that bucket. Yeah. I mean, I'll say one of the things I will always be grateful for for the rest of my life is that I took a trip to New Orleans at the end of January for about five or six days. And literally that sustained me through, I think, May or June. I would just close my eyes and go back to, you know, Freeman exactly. or something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's what we do when we're in those situations where we're under stress or we, we close our eyes and we think back to those moments. And it's those moments that kind of help us get through those situations. And if you're not creating new ones, uh, or if they feel too far off, you know, like, then you're going to slip into those, those feelings of not really having a high sense of well-being, and you're going to feel under more stress, and you don't really see a way, uh, an immediate way out. So true. So, so true. Um, now, I'd like to talk a little bit specifically about a client that you mentioned earlier. Visit California. Um, now, these were one of the, the clients you worked with throughout the entire pandemic uh, to hit some what of a precarious balance in messaging. Can you talk about how the campaign evolved as time went on? Yeah. So the challenge for us with California specifically, but and some of our others as well, is it, it was really unique because it's something that I'd never quite experienced before because we were at the same time trying to remind people how great California is, um, keep that front of mind for them, keep those, those amazing images in their heads of, of what California offers, at the same time that we were not able to actively say, come to California. Uh, there were many, many restrictions that had been put in place you know, from the, the CDC and, and, and the state government and et cetera, that's basically said, we, we don't want to encourage uh, travel and tourism at this time. So how do you market a product at the same time that you're not actively trying to get somebody to buy that product? And uh, that's a fine line to walk, let me tell you. Um, I'm proud of the work that we did in it, in that we came up with some, what I believe were very, very innovative solutions. It evolved over time with the pandemic and the messaging that we put out. In the very beginning, it was just beautiful images and thanks, thanks for dreaming with us, you know, like we're not ready to do it now, but when the time comes, keep these things in your mind. And then it, over time, we did, we did work about, let's thank the dreamers who are helping us get through this. And then eventually we did a campaign called Never Normal, which played off of uh, how California's always had a bit of an attitude of being a little bit abnormal, perhaps. So dealing with the stress of wearing masks and social distancing should be no big deal for us because we're used to doing things a little unusual. So we just kept moving you know, with the pandemic and trying to hit and resonate emotionally with people at that moment without ever saying, and come to California or visit our website and start planning your trip today. So we never said those things. Toward the end, we did a campaign where we personified California through a, uh, a very clever campaign that used a uh, text. Um, so it was as though California was texting you 
and um, using emojis and, and fun little turns of phrases that would basically say, well, see you soon, you know, see mm -hmm. you soon, California. Um, so see you soon is obviously a phrase that's subject to interpretation. Is see you soon six months from now or is it two weeks from now? And so that's what we did. We just kept kind of moving along with the pandemic, trying to find the emotionally resonant messaging that worked at the time, but never specifically crossing that line of saying, come here. And it was somewhat frustrating at times because remember other states were actively saying, come here. Yeah. Right, right. Um, you know, it's really crazy uh, how, you know, it kind of culminated with the personification of California because as you were laying that out, I'm like, you know, it really became a character during yes. the pandemic. And it That's was building right. affinity and connection with that character without necessarily, you know, following through, um, right. which is no small task and really cool. And I think the the texting from California is just a perfect, you know, uh, pin, you know, culmination of that. Um, yeah, I mean, some of them were really fun. We had one, you know, it was just one scene, like waves crashing on the beach, and then the text stream would go over that scene. And you know, one of them I remember, you know, it was like, okay, see you soon, California. P.S. By the way, I still have your flip flops. You know, so <laughs> it, was, it was this very fun, personal way of kind of like not being frivolous, not not crossing the line of being insensitive, but saying, hey, you know, we're here and we can't wait to see you when that time comes. I, I want to ask you about the the future of the travel industry, but before we do that, I would love to know just kind of in the short term, what is the thinking now with California Office of Tourism? Like, well, we're we're all racing towards moving to the next phase. That's it's not just California; it's all our clients, and we're now in the opposite situation I touched on earlier, where 100% of our clients canceled 100% of our, their advertising. I now have 100% of my clients in active mode of wanting to get back out there as quickly as possible and as aggressively as possible. You know, that mm -hmm. the nuances of those messages are now falling by the wayside and now we're in an active- Get over here. <laughs> action to get over here. And, you know, the June 15th opening here in California is leading to, um, you know, tremendous future bookings. I was talking to one of our clients the other day at San Diego is a client of ours. And they were saying the 4th of July is looking bigger than 2019. So, wow. you know, people are ready to go. And there's a there's another term. I don't know if you've heard the term. It's called revenge travel. I don't, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, revenge travel is basically, can you curse on this show? I don't go know. for it. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. I deserve <laughs> this. I'm going to travel, you know, and the hell with everything. I'm going. You know, I, I deserve it. I've lived through this. I am going to travel and I'm going to squeeze life and, you know, get every drop out of it I can. And, you know, the industry, the biggest challenge the industry is going to face to be ready for it because we still have lots of challenges with staffing and, and um, you know, people haven't been able to bring back all their people yet. And, you know, the hotels are going to fill up and the restaurants are going to fill up. And, People are going to be like, I'm ready to have a good time. You know, I'm going to lay by the pool. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. Um, and they're going to almost have this sense of I deserve this. 
Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. which is where that phrase revenge travel comes from. Like I'll show you pandemic. Um, and so right now it's everybody's uh, racing to get ready. And, you know, the biggest challenges that we will face, I believe in July and August will be meeting demand, not in um, filling demand. That makes a lot of sense. And we're seeing that kind of cross industries right now as, you know, we're all kind of feeling out what this new normal is looking like. Um, let's talk a little bit in the long term of the future of uh, travel and tourism. Um, for things like business travel, uh, yeah. do you see that being uh, affected where now we've gone through a year? I know personally for the ANA, um, we did, you know, shout out to our events team. They turned around like a whirlwind in virtualizing, if that's a word, virtualizing all of our events. Uh, we're starting to come back with some hybrid national conferences. Um, but what do you see as the, you know, long-term uh, new normal for tourism and, and for business travel in specific? Well, the, the, the statistics that we see say it's going to take several years to get back to my, you know, where we were, I think 2023, 24 are the numbers that that we look at um, as being kind of back to the projected. So I think everybody knows it's going to take some time. There's still a truthfully, there is still a, a, a good percentage of people who are insecure about travel right now. And it's going to take them a while to feel comfortable again. Um, we see tracking on that and follow it. And it you know, there's there's a, a significant percentage of people who aren't quite ready yet. On the corporate and business side, you know, I think you're going to see that it's going to take much longer to come back than the leisure side. Um, you know, we've all gotten used to doing business through Zoom. Um, companies have gotten used to saving money on uh, sending people places. And so I think that's a slow creep back. The, group, the, the biggest one would be the convention and meetings business. And, um, you know, I think from what I'm hearing is that they're all anticipating a, a reduction in attendance um, that could be anywhere from, you know, 10 to 40% or so. And, you know, the combination of doing conventions both in person and virtually. So uh, you could do both. <laughs> you could conceivably go to the convention and then pick and choose what you wanted to go to and do the rest virtually. We were, I was having a conversation with one of our clients the other day about this and saying that we felt that that destination was particularly suited for people who could come to the conference, but choose to also attend it virtually by sitting on the beach and looking at their laptop, you know? So I think there's going to be some of that. Um, I think that leisure is going to become a bigger and bigger thing. Uh, we've talked about leisure for a long time. Nobody's got the Holy Grail on it yet. But um, since we haven't been traveling for leisure, the idea of combining it with your uh, business or group or, or convention um, makes a lot of sense. And so finding strategies to convince people to combine a leisure trip with their business trip is going to be, I think, really effective. But I think in the long haul, you're looking at several years for travel to get back to where it is. That's going to primarily be because of international mm -hmm. and because of group and meeting and business travel. Those are the ones that are going to lag uh, leisure. So mm -hmm. it's going to take a while. 
Yeah. Well, and another thing that I've been hearing is that now with the um, evolution of work from home, now that it's a little harder to be like, uh, you need to be in the office to do work. Trust me. Um, I've heard a lot about where, you know, folks might find an Airbnb uh, and take four or five days off, but stay at that Airbnb for two weeks and just, you know, work the nine to five uh, remotely and just be in this place, be in this other place, be in this escape for, you know, all of your free time. Yeah. And we, we, we see that. And, um, you know, it certainly was a, was a strategy during the pandemic to encourage people to work from uh, an environment other than their home. So rent an Airbnb, if you feel comfortable, or even stay in a hotel, you know, we, we saw a lot of hotels come up with very clever strategies on, uh, if you stay here, uh, we'll give you access to another room that you can use as a Zoom or business room. Um, so, yeah, I think that's going to be, I think we're going to see a continuation of that is people just changing how they work. Um, we're all right now going through, you know, our company is, all our clients are, what will the return to work look like? We, I don't know that anybody has the definitive right answer on it. Um, we know that it's going to be based on some degree of flexibility, at least initially, because that's just the way it has to be. There's just no way you can expect everything to just go back to the way it was. Um, I know there's companies that say that legally they can, you know, demand that you be vaccinated and come back to work, but um, that isn't going to be what our industry does. I know that. Right, right. Um, well, Dave, this has been a phenomenal conversation and a really great look behind the scenes of, of a, 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 an industry that had to do backflips on backflips for a year to get to where we are right now. Uh, but I'd like to pivot a little and ask you a question that we ask each and every one of our guests. We like to establish an industry-wide baseline of very smart people, and you are in that group. Dave, what are your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, well, this is a huge issue uh, within our industry. It's critical that we as marketers um, both have people in our organizations that uh, represent a diverse and uh, inclusive kind of um, background. We can't do the work that we need to do if we don't have those voices represented in, in, you know, what we have to do on behalf of our clients. You can imagine that's especially true being here in California. Um, it's also critical that our work be reflective of that as well. You know, um, we represent a lot of destinations and it's important that that work is a accurate reflection of all the different types of people um, that want to travel uh, and, and take advantage of those. So, you know, we, we've got to do both. We have to um, get the right people uh, within the organization that represent all those different groups. Um, I'm proud to say that the shipyard has a program that they have been running that's very successful. It's a partnership with Ohio State University. And it's um, it's called BASCA, which is the Black Advertising Strategic Communication <laughs> Association, which is a mouthful. But basically what it is is an internship program where they bring people from diverse backgrounds in and that's a program that we're looking at bringing to California too and rolling out in both San Diego and Sacramento, working with the uh, universities here. So we're trying really hard to make sure that we do that. 
both on the hiring side and then on the work itself being reflective of diverse opinions, backgrounds, and types. That's amazing. And I love, I always love to hear when a company is putting deliberate work towards it. You know, yeah, it's, it's hard to just say it, you know, I mean, you, we all just can say it, but you got to do I was something. about to say, it's very yeah. easy to just say it's it. easy uh, to but, say it. We saw that with every company in the world posting their, oh my their goodness. lots of prayers during uh, all the things that were going on earlier uh, in 2020. But it's another thing to be actually putting something into action. All right, Dave. We're here to the big question now. Um, and, uh, you know, the, a few of my guests uh, in the past few weeks have just breezed by this question. So I'm not going to assume that it was difficult for you, but it's been a tough one for a lot of our guests. Dave, are you ready? I don't know that I am. Well, <laughs> here we go anyway. Dave Maring, what is your favorite album of all time and oh. why? Um... Oh, well, you know, it makes me old to answer this. Nonsense. Uh, Poppycock. Well, it's Abbey Road because Ooh, I, don't think classic. Need, I don't think anybody needs to actually say why afterwards. It's like, how does it not be my favorite album? I'm a product of the of the 60s. And, uh, you know, that's the time I think that most of us are most impressionable in terms of the music that we hear and fall in love with. It's not something I'm listening to every day. I'm actually listening to a lot of other things these days, but um, that would be my favorite album of all time. Amazing, amazing. And now this is going to be a little bit uh, unfair for the audience because this is not a visual platform. But if you look right where my finger is, right there on the wall. Oh, there it is. There's there the it is. Right Abbey, there. Abbey Road's oh, on my I wall. Feel, I feel good now. You're in good company, Dave. Uh, phenomenal. Don't ever be uh, uh, bashful about that answer. So you said you're, you're listening to some new things, some different things now. What, what's, on, what's on the playlist? What's in your ears uh, nowadays? Well, I listen to a lot of, I, a huge diversity of music. I love music. It's a big part of my life. Um, and when I stumble across things that kind of surprise me, I tend to become somewhat obsessed with them and play them all the time, much to the chagrin of my wife and daughter but um of all things right now i'm listening to an artist that i would encourage you to uh, look up on spotify and her name is aruj aftab and um right exactly so she is pakistani and um she sings in both farsi and english oh, and awesome. it's some of the most beautiful music i've heard in some time i like to hear things that reduce my stress level so um, she has a way of just transporting me kind of into a, a place of calm. I put on my earbuds and, and just walk. And it's amazing how everything looks more beautiful and vibrant when I'm listening to her at the same time. So I encourage you, that's spelled A-R-O-O-J off top. So um, shout out to her. Yeah, that's amazing. I love, love, love when our listeners can get brand new, uh, you know, music recommendations. So thank you very much. Dave, before we let you go, uh, how can folks get in touch with you in the shipyard if they're, you know, getting ready to welcome folks back and might need your help? Wh where do they go to find you? 
Um, well, obviously they can go to the shipyard website or um, until we complete the merger uh, of, of, of our brands and names, they can go to the Maring.com uh, website as well. They can also reach out to me on LinkedIn um, uh, or even uh, Rick Millenthal, I think on LinkedIn too. So any of those things are easy ways to reach us. We um, are very active in trying to respond to people that reach out to us. So piece of cake. Fantastic. Dave, thank you so, so much for being a guest on the Marketing Futures Podcast. Thank you. It's been great. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures Podcast. Have an idea for a topic or guest for a future episode? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Futures Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you're looking to get smart on the future, point your browsers to ana.net slash futures.